Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. In our last episode... Previously on the next track... Well, yeah, previously on the next track. Previously on the next. That doesn't make sense. Anyway, in our last episode... And, you know, these things aren't even episodic. There's no, there's no arc. <laughs> but yeah. it, so what, what do you call them? Shows? That's what we call them. Show. Call them well, show. they're technically episodes of an arcless podcast. Oh, but God, let's not get bogged sad. down in that. Okay. Well, anyway, in our last show, we uh, talked briefly about karaoke. And because uh, the music app has a new feature where you can uh, sing sing along with your songs because they provide not only the lyrics, but they also provide a mechanism for removing the singing parts from some songs. And um, that got me thinking later on that how come they don't have a thing at bars where you volunteer to get up on stage and do like 10 minutes from a friend's TV show? Like they could have a TV show script and like two people are up there. And let's say there's a famous scene from Friends, right? And everybody knows it and every, all the Friends fans know it. And so two people get up on stage and they sit there with a monitor and they read the script. And, you know, one of them is Alice and the other one is Ted. Well, I don't know. I forget their names. I don't know. Um, you know, they don't have that. I thought that was interesting. Or, or they could do scenes from like The Godfather. Or Shakespeare. Star Wars. Well, Shakespeare's a little more difficult. Yeah, but, 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 you know. Really popular movies that people know. Right. I imagine you get a dozen people doing the Rocky Horror Show. They probably don't even need a script. They already know the lines. There's so many things they could do it with. There's so many old movies where you could take a 10-minute scene. I, I, watch a, uh, I watch Turner Classic Movies occasionally, and I get on board with... The, the fellow viewers on Twitter. And there are people who know they've seen these movies hundreds of times and they're goofing on it and talking about their favorite scenes. So, I mean, that could be interesting. Anyway, the reason I'm talking about reading while you're participating with your media is that there was an article that I saw recently and you tweeted about um, a couple of days ago about people using subtitles much more than usual when they watch TV shows and movies at home on their on their home theater systems. Now, they say it's because they can't understand the dialogue because of, for reasons that we'll talk about. But it got me thinking, that's like, you know, I used to have a, a I don't have a 5-1 system now, but I, or a home entertainment system anymore. But I did for a while because I wanted to, I wanted to have that theatrical feel. And darn it, if I couldn't hear the dialogue ever, I ended up turning the center speaker up as loud as possible so I could hear the dialogue, which sort of didn't make sense because then the sound effects and the music had to be turned down. So it didn't make a lot of sense to have five speakers. However, when I went back to doing two speakers in stereo, oh, that sounded a lot better. And then I remembered growing up as a kid, our TVs had one speaker. And nobody had a problem hearing dialogue. Um, so when I saw this subtitle article, this article about people reading subtitles, the first thing I thought was that, well, maybe people just put the show on and it's fun to see the dialogue like karaoke is fun to see the dialogue. You know, while they're talking, maybe you're on the phone, you've got the sound down. 
I know that I watch movies, just have them on. I don't even pay attention to them. They're just on. I know people do that. But I saw this article, and the article suggests that, and the excuse that the content makers make, as I recall, is that, well, every service has different requirements for audio. And so that may be why our audio doesn't sound great at your house. And I thought, well, that sounds acceptable. And I thought, that doesn't sound acceptable. <laughs> I, used to, I used to produce audio commercials for radio stations. I don't ever remember other radio stations saying, by the way, can you tweak that because we have a certain bandwidth that we want. Nobody ever did that. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Different services have different requirements. Now, did you explore that? Did you see that article? Did you, what do you think of that? May I ask? Well, this is something that has actually been on my mind for a while, and I thought it was just that I was getting older and my hearing was getting worse. Now, you can I say that you're using hearing aids and have been for a while, but I haven't reached that stage yet. I'm, I'm fine. And what I find is occasionally I'm watching something and then someone says something really quiet. But it seems like it's an important line. So I have to go back, turn the subtitles on to see what they said. Rather, I don't want to turn the volume up and turn it down because then you could end up with a gunshot right afterwards and it blows your speakers. And I realized that it wasn't just me. When I started reading articles about this past couple of years, I realized it wasn't just me. So I, I've got an article here, TV subtitle usage up to 80%. What's going wrong with dialogue mixes? And what shocks me... Okay, it shocks me, but I think there's a reason. They asked people of different ages, how often do, do you use subtitles some or all the time watching a TV on any device? 18 to 24-year-old people, 80% of them use subtitles some or all of the time watching TV on any device. How much of that is there at school watching a movie on their iPhone and they can't put the audio on some or all of the time? That's really not a good question because subtitle usage goes down with age. When you get up to 56 to 75, it's only 23%. So That's very interesting. That's very interesting. It's like, it goes along with what I said. I said there's a... They're not, they don't have the subtitles on because they want the subtitles. It's like that's the next best thing to what they are able to do with the audio. And it doesn't surprise me that young people do this at all. So as you progress in the article, which looks at a number of survey questions, the most common reason to use subtitles, audio is muddled, 72%. Accent is hard to understand, 61%. We're going to talk about that. Watching quietly at home, 29%. You're watching in bed, your spouse or partner's sleeping. Maybe you want to, you know, put the subtitles on. The accent thing is interesting. So why are Americans using subtitles more often? 53% say, using subtitles more than they used to. That's not why. So I don't think that answer belongs here. 78% background music makes it hard to hear dialogue. Now, that's really interesting because music is the, the sound design of movies has taken on a role it didn't have before. However, I'll, I'll put an asterisk there to come back in just a second. You, you have movies where they're designed for surround sound, for theater viewing and home viewing, and they're immersive, right? I think Dune that I saw a couple of years ago, it was like that. There was all this noise. But here's my asterisk. The other day I was watching The Big Sleep, and there is music in almost every single scene. 
it's in the background, but you don't have quiet scenes. And it's kind of strange. And that, that's a style of movie making from back in the day. 55% say it's harder to hear the dialogue than it used to be, which collates with the background music makes it hard to hear dialogue. 44% say the visuals of recent productions are not as well lit as they used to be. I don't know why that would be. I think it's the viewers that aren't as well lit yes. as they used to be. <laughs> and 35% say actors and TV presenters talk faster than they used to. I don't think that's true. I know I talk fast on our podcasts. When I listen, I just had lunch and I had the BBC News Channel on and I was listening to the BBC Newsreader telling the news and here's what happened. They are launching a rocket today in Cornwall for the first time and they're not talking fast at all. They're talking relatively slowly. I think the the sound design, the sound mix and all that has become a character in films and TV dramas. And because of this, the person mixing the sound wants to give it more oomph. Possibly. I also think the other side of the coin is the technology for listening to television has gotten bigger than the television itself. You've got, you know, you've got an Atmos Dolby multi seven point something thing room. <laughs> you've got to go to a special room to listen to your, to, to watch your movies. Well, I don't have to, but I chose to devote a small room in my house to the TV. Yes. Well, it's not like you're picking up a little portable battery-operated TV and going from room to room and watching television. Right. You right. have a, a fairly, you know, you can't, you have to go to the room. But anyway, um, our friend Chris Conacher, he's got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of speakers. Are, are the people who are making the content thinking oh, this has to sound a certain way on these systems. Otherwise, the people who have these systems won't hear it very well. But by doing that, they're degrading the experience for people that have other kinds of systems. And as a result of that, people say, I can't understand the dialogue because the music is too loud, because people with 5171 systems, etc., need to hear the immersiveness of of the background music and the sound effects and stuff. So I suppose that's a possibility also. I'm not sure it's... I, I think it's just a global way that audio is being treated because I do have a technically a 7.1 system or whatever. And there are some shows and movies where it's just fine, where there's absolutely no problem. And there are others where it is really, really difficult. And... I, I don't know why. Are, are these people trying to get Oscars for sound design or Emmys for sound design by doing something clever that sound designers recognize or something? Uh, one of the points in this article that I found interesting is the desire for realism, that they want dialogue to be delivered in a realistic way, and I quote, rather than in a way that can be heard at the back of a theater. You'd have to go back pretty far to get... TV dialogue outdoors that's not realistic, right? You've got to go back to the 60s and the 70s. But, and even, but even then, they would, they would dub voices exactly. back in. 
because right a adr additional dialogue recording when you see that in the credits that means that they've gone back and the actors have spoken over because they can't have a microphone close enough to everyone all the time. And it's incredibly common. So I don't think this has to do with actually recording the dialogue live and doing that. Although that is a technique I watched. I've been watching my box set of Vim Vendors movies and Kings of the Road that was shot in what, 75. Uh, the credits open with showing that it's a 1.66 to 1 screen ratio, which I guess in Germany they don't do. It's a 16.9, but they do it the other way around. And it says original tone or, or, or original tone or whatever it is in German, production sound. In other words, they were recording it live and there was no ADR, no overdubbing afterwards, which has constraints, right? But... If they need the dialogue to be clear, they'll do the additional dialogue recording. I don't believe that this realistic approach to dialogue makes it more difficult for people to... I mean, I understood almost everything in The Wire. Okay, right, exactly. Um, the, the other thing, too, is like look at the history of, of, of theatricals. Um, there's stage... There's a way to speak on stage. They certainly wouldn't try to make it realistic. I mean, how can you do that? If you go back 100 years, they didn't have audio amplification, or more than 100 years now. So when you look at early silent movies, they didn't even have sound, <laughs> right? So then when they did have sound, well, if you look at the early talkie movies, you see that everything is exaggerated and everybody speaks with that, what do they call it, mid-Atlantic sort of... You know, they, everybody talks like George Sanders. How delightful. You know, they all have this stagey, theatrical way of doing things. Eventually, that was lost. Yet, they don't do that anymore. Yet I watched The Big Sleep the other day, and Doghouse Riley speaks with that kind of lispy accent that Humphrey Bogart has. And it's not like it's not theatrical in any way, whereas some of the characters are. Lauren Bacall was very theatrical in that film, for example. But even so, they're not talking like this. You know, they're not going, I think I'll get that thing. They know. You know, they, they speak so that every piece of dialogue can be heard. Fine. Then you get into this, you know, you get into the 60s, you start seeing people that are doing cinema verite, documentaries. So, uh, found sound, things like this, where suddenly e the formality of, 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 of speaking dialogue has become less formal and they're trying to be more realistic. Not so much on TV shows, you know, like... Well, but, but realistic doesn't mean hard to hear. No, it doesn't. Absolutely When not. needed, they do that additional dialogue recording and they overdub people and you can hear them. And that's the way it should be. I think the problem is the sound mixes. But so one of the other things is that they asked Americans the hardest accents for them to understand and 50% said Scottish. <laughs> now, if you ask English people the hardest accent to understand, I bet 25% will say Scottish and 50% will say Southern US, right? Yeah. The Scottish accent is, I've been in this country for 10 years, and uh, interestingly, on the BBC News, they had two Scottish reporters on today, like a political reporter and someone else. Like A lot of the, not just reporting about Scotland, but the normal reporters are Scottish, so you get familiar with this accent over time. 
But there are TV series where I simply can't get it. I mentioned in our last episode, in our previous episode, my next track pick was a TV thing called Mayflies, and the two characters were Scottish. And there were a couple points where I had to go back and put the subtitles on, not because of the sound mix, but because of the accents. There is an actor named Stephen Graham who was in Line of Duty a couple of seasons ago. He's from Liverpool. I cannot understand his accent. He was also in an extraordinary movie called Boiling Point. If I haven't mentioned it, it's a single shot movie about 90 minutes in a restaurant. A lot of trouble understanding him. I asked my partner who's English and, well, I can understand, but I understand that it's not easy. But all of these accents are the fact that 20 years ago, Americans were not watching British TV other than Masterpiece Theatre. They weren't watching Peaky Blinders, Derry Girls, Downton Abbey, Bridgerton, and Doctor Who, which is what are mentioned in this article. So the rise of streaming television services that is funneling British TV to the U.S. and other countries is giving them more... They're not just hearing that standard American English accent, which is what's usual on American TV. So as they discover these new shows, I mean... David Tennant was the Doctor Who for many years. He's got a pretty strong Scottish accent, though he 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 doesn't use his full accent in a show like that. Something like Peaky Blinders, well, that's Birmingham, and they do have a particular accent as well. And in order to be realistic, they want to use that accent. Now, this article, the guy says something, I'm not suggesting for one moment that accents should be banned, just used in moderation to signpost rather than be realistic. Only an American could write that. Yeah. I was just um, thinking that. I was just thinking it's like make it make it a little Scottish or make it a little Birmingham, but not not don't overdo it because you know make make it easy for us Americans. Yeah, right. Yeah, or in, for, oh, anybody actually. In my years of going to the Royal Shakespeare Company, three miles away from here, I have seen a variety of accents. I've heard, sorry, I have heard a variety of accents, and often you have Scottish accents, but you have other regional accents, and this is. I want to say this is a naturalistic approach to theater in the UK that while casting is now often colorblind, so you don't have to be white to play a white character, accents are color deaf, deaf blind or whatever, accent blind. Agnostic. Agnostic, yeah. The actors used to not be able to talk in regional accents in the UK. And there are many. There's there's Devon, there's Essex, there's Yorkshire. I lived in Yorkshire for a while. Strong accent. There's Liverpool, there's Manchester, there's, you know, Scotland and, and all of that. So this is progress in allowing more realistic flexibility than requiring people to speak a specific accent. Right. I think, you know, I, all British actors used to, everybody sounded like Ralph Richardson. You know, they all had that Shakespearean sort of stage presence, like I was saying about American actors, same sort of thing. And I agree. I have noticed that, that it is a much more realistic, especially with British television, much more realistic. This is where we're from. Uh, this is important. Uh, you know, the, 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 the area that we're from has a personality too. So our, that personality has to be part of the of the characters. Exactly. Subtitles, I don't like subtitles. I they I mean I would really prefer and, and I don't like dubs either if they're not good, but subtitles are troublesome because it's a movie. I want to see the whole screen. I don't like having my eyes locked in to that lower <laughs> 2 inches of the screen and I can't keep an eye like Vim Vendors you say. I mean, I don't know 
you want to see what the director put into the picture. You don't want to be looking down at the ground all the time. Yeah, but you don't have as much experience because you're in America, and subtitles have long been shunned in America. Well, let me just say that I've gone out of my way. Um, I like kung fu movies. I'm, I used to be a big kung fu movie listener, a watcher. A lot of those are dubbed, and they're dubbed badly. <laughs> but the ones that have um, subtitles, sometimes they're not great either because a, a person may be saying something incredibly complex, but it has to be reduced to a certain length and a certain time limit that it can be read so you don't get the same thing. One of my favorite movies is Das Boot. I think I've seen it as many times as I've seen it. I've probably seen it half the time with subtitles and half the time with the English dubbing. I prefer the English dubbing because there are some terrific scenes. You don't want to take your eyes off the screen while they're yelling and screaming and hollering and the boat is sinking and the water, they're taking on water and it's so exciting. And yet there you are reading like, oh, we've got to lock the door. You know, I don't want to be looking at that. Okay, it, it's, a, it's a technique you develop over time, and, and having lived in France for a very long time, and even before then, seeing foreign films in New York City, it's something you get used to. Well, let me just say this. I could watch Jules and Jim with subtitles, because there's not a lot of crazy action going on. There's not a lot, you know, it's, they're, they're, right. they're having dinner, they're having lunch, they're in the woods, they're whatever they are, whatever they're doing in Jules and Jim. You know, some of the drama is maintained without having to look at it. Um, but, you know, kung fu action movies, you kind of want to watch the action. You kind of want to, well, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe they don't talk while they're fighting. It, again, it's a skill you develop. You can, when you get used to it, you can glance at the subtitles and read them pretty quickly. So here's a bit of trivia. Well, you read quickly too. You read quickly. I, I read anyway. quickly You're anyway. You're a fast yeah. reader. Um, so here I am too. I mean, I read in groups of words, so I right. mean, I get it, but... It's still not the best experience to dart up and back and forth. It's it's not ideal. Okay, so here's a bit of trivia. Yesterday, we watched Vim Vendor's film, The American Friend. Great film based on a Patricia Highsmith novel with Dennis Hopper. And there's a moment where the Bruno Gantz's character goes to see a doctor at the American Hospital in Paris. And the doctor is someone I did some work for in Paris. His name is Sandy Whitewell. He died a couple years ago. He was a subtitler. So in my early years in Paris, I did some subtitling for films. And this may have changed, but back then you were assuming you had 18 characters per second. You would get a sheet of paper with every shot broken down and all of the text. And here's how many characters you have, because this shot is X seconds. And you would have to fit them in that amount of time. Now, depending on the language pair, it's easier or harder English is generally about 10% shorter in terms of characters and French is. German's a bit longer. So if you're going from English into French, it's harder. If you're going from English into German, it's even harder because you have to cut more out. So it, it's, it's not an all or nothing type of thing. Some language pairs, you really have to cut short. I don't know how it works in Chinese or Japanese where you have characters instead of words. I don't know how many you get per second. But you can't have a line of dialogue that stays when a shot changes, right? The dialogue has to finish before the cut. Now, you can have half a sentence before the cut and half after. It's a very complex thing to do. Yeah. But it's also a skill to read subtitles. And I'm watching this movie, and there are parts in English and parts in German. And I see the subtitle, and I can look up 
and I can see the actors and what they're doing and saying, but I can also hear the inflection in the voice, which you don't get from the subtitle. But this is a skill you have to develop over time. Um, let's get back to the original thing where – our original thought where Americans are watching American TV with American subtitles. Yeah. It, it, so I think we're agreed that it's – they more or less say it's because I can't hear for whatever the reason, whether it's because they have the volume turned down or because – the extraneous the music is muddy. Is, is muddy. So yeah. why? Why can't they fix that? <laughs> why, can't, why, why isn't that an understood problem that they can't fix? I watched a movie recently, I don't remember what it was, and there was a lot of wind noise. And you need the wind noise for the ambience, but those are the frequencies that cut out the high-end consonants when people are talking and that needs to be cut down or 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 a river flowing that kind of background noise or the crickets chirping all of those they they need to put them more in the background and well i think that's what it comes down to it comes down to it's like in the 50s half the records sold were stereo hi-fi demonstration records it's like is that what these are <laughs> it's like you're just showing us your showing us your audio cred by like saying look we don't have to just suggest there are crickets. We can have crickets in the whole scene the whole time. It's like, but back in the day, they would say, they would open the scene with chirp, 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 and then you wouldn't hear the crickets anymore. Well, they'd fade it down really low. Uh, right, so exactly. So when, when there was silence, you would still hear them. They would kind of duck the crickets Sure. when people were speaking. Or birds or construction work or whatever, but you can hear it. You know, you go to a construction site, and then when they go to the people speaking, the kind of the noise just fades away. And there's a sense that that, that well, there's a sense I have that that isn't, that isn't done anymore. It's like they maintain it louder than it needs to be for the, uh, for the sense of realism. Yeah. Again, in this article, the realism they're talking about is the way people are speaking. But in addition, all of the the, the elements of realism are not just the background sound and everything else. In in general, you don't have a lot of background sound unless it's intentional, right? Construction site, crickets, wind, river, that sort of thing. When you're shooting, I don't know, when you're shooting The Wire and you're in a housing project, you're in a place where, well, maybe you have some sound in the background because there's cars driving by and police cars and stuff, but there's not that much. So I... I the, the biggest problem I have is when there's music, but it's not just music. It's just the sound mix sucks. Right. Often. I, 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 it would be nice if we could actually do our own mixes, but that doesn't seem to be something that's on the table. Well, the one thing I would like with my Sonos Arc is the ability to boost the dialogue a bit. Now, there is a dialogue channel in multi-channel audio, so it should be possible. And Sonos has had a number of updates because the dialogue has been repressed a little bit. So the more recent update is better than it was, I don't know, three or four months ago. I would like to have that ability. You talked about your center channel, you would raise it yourself. And it's true that if you have more control, then you can do that. I've been reading about this for years. This is not a new phenomenon. The problem is that even if it starts changing now, we're going to have all this stuff that was filmed and produced with bad sound going on for years. Is it a trend? Is it? Does it matter? Do we miss anything? I mean, sometimes there is an important line that someone says really quietly. And you, you know it's important because the other character looks startled, that kind of thing. You got to go back and hear what they said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. 
or orchestra stab or lights change or something. But yes, there's always, there is that. There is that effect frequently. I see it frequently now that you mention it. What did he just say? What, the world's going to explode at what time? <laughs> All right. Do we want to go on to next track picks? Absolutely. As long as we're talking about movies, I'm going to mention a movie that I watched yesterday. It's called Yesterday. Oh, cut it out. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this. About three years old, a middling singer-songwriter is pretty much a failure. He writes you know, songs that are okay, but no one really likes him. He's not successful in all this. And he decides he's with this woman friend who's been his friend forever and his manager and driver. So that's it. I'm giving up. So he gets on his bike and he goes home. And while he's riding his bicycle, the power goes out around the world for 12 seconds. All the lights go off and he gets hit by a bus. So he's in the hospital. And when he gets better, he goes and meets a bunch of friends and they bought him a new guitar. And he's like, okay, well, this beautiful guitar, I need to play, sing a beautiful song on it. And he plays Yesterday. And they're all like, wow, how come we never heard this song before? When did you write this? And he's like, what do you, you don't, this is like the one of the greatest songs ever written by the Beatles. Who? So apparently the entire world forgot the Beatles existed. And of course, he remembers a lot of songs and he starts singing them and he ends up with a recording contract, et cetera, et cetera. It's a rom-com, but it's also an interesting example for me of how pervasive the Beatles music is. There must be 25 Beatles songs played in little bits at different parts of this. And it made me think, what would the world be like if we didn't have that music? It's just so familiar. We're of the age we grew up with that. But even now, people hear songs by the Beatles. And imagine a world without Beatles music. So the screenplay was written by Richard Curtis. He's the one who did that Notting Hill film or whatever, I think. He's got cred in that kind of, you know, touchy-feely, emotional type thing. The director was Danny Boyle. The lead actor was a someone of Indian origin that I didn't know, and the female was Lily James, who is known for having been in Downton Abbey and a bunch of other things. Really fun film, sweet, and just reminding you that the Beatles are that important. What have you got, Doug? Well, I actually don't have it yet. They've only released one track from it. It uh, will be available in March. It's a brand new collection from the Zappa estate called Zappa 80, Mud Club, Munich. And what it is is a collection of three CDs. Not a very big collection, is it? The first CD is a recording of a Frank and his band in 1980 at the Mud Club in New York City, which is a venue that holds, I don't know, I'm going to guess 200, 300 people. And then discs two and three are the same band recorded at a large arena in Munich that I'm going to guess probably seats more than 10,000. So it'll be an interesting juxtaposition to hear how these uh, two shows went on with the same musicians. And I say the same musicians. Whenever Frank went on tour, he rehired musicians. So it wasn't always a sure bet that you were going to be with him on the next tour. He switched people up all the time. Sometimes he had multiple percussionists. Sometimes he had multi-keyboardists. Sometimes just one keyboard. Sometimes just one drummer, etc. This band in particular is a fairly well-respected one. It's only five other guys. He's got two other lead singers, and they all double on synths and guitars, and then a bass, drum, and keyboard. And so it's essentially just six guys. And I'm very interested to hear it. The... Um, 
the music that they do, the repertoire they do is essentially from the late 70s. So it's from Shake Your Booty and Joe's Garage and that kind of stuff. And it will be fun to hear. I, You know, we didn't get a chance to see a lot of Frank back when he was doing this. He didn't have his stuff on MTV. He didn't have YouTube. You didn't get a chance to see them live. You had to go and see them. And it's really nice that the Zappa estate is releasing some of this great live stuff. He recorded everything. And it even looks like he was preparing uh, the at least the Munich show to be released in his lifetime. He didn't finish it. So the Vaultmeisters at the Zappa Vault have uh, cleaned this up and will be releasing it in March. There's a great single release from it and that's the thing that turned me on to it it just sounds so good even though it was recorded on two tracks uh mixed down from you know a live mix down from the board but they cleaned it up so good so really looking forward to it it is called zappa 80 mud club munich and it's my next track when it gets out this was episode number 247 of the next track thanks for listening you can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. And you'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. Follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so listener support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.